WDBM East Lansing. The Impact. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. Good evening. Thank you for tuning in to Exposure on WDBM Impact 89 FM. I'm your host, Stephen Rich. With commencement just passed and many recent graduates looking to start their careers, tonight we wanted to discuss what today's graduates face after college. From preparation while in school, finding a job, paying off student loans, and even finding friends in a new city, students face many question marks after graduation. All this and more on Exposure. Again, I am Stephen Rich, and this is Impact 89 FM. You're listening to Exposure. Following the financial collapse of 2008, many graduates have struggled to find footing in their career field. Even as the economy has started to see some recovery, lack of employment and underemployment has remained a problem with graduates. I spoke with Phil Gardner, director of the MSU Career Services Network and director of the Collegiate Employment Research Institute, about what these graduates have faced and what he expects future graduates to see. Can you just give us some background on uh, the Collegiate Employment Research Institute and MSU Career Services? Well, the Institute was founded back in 1985 as a result of the uh, recession uh, in 82-84 uh, that was a, really hit the Midwest hard because it was a, uh, a manufacturing recession. And so they were worried about where college students were going and how to develop uh, college a talent for a more diverse economy. And that's how the Institute started. So we started by looking at destinations and how students transitioned into the workplace and early socialization, how they started their career. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also are well known for our national labor market studies that come out every fall. Career services have been doing that, and then it was turned over to the Institute. Um, and then uh, we began to look at how s- success was defined in an early career and what led to success. So that took us into areas such as studying uh, the co-curriculars that student engaged in, particularly internships, uh, and, and how that influenced and shaped the transition into the workplace. Mm-hmm. And we've since expanded to other areas, particularly study abroad. And But we're really here to look at the transition and how young adults uh, can establish their career and, and gain of traction in a very different labor market than when the institute started. Mm-hmm. And I think internships are, are, are a good way to start um, because they have been, you know, growing to become a, a really big part of the college experience. A lot of students, you know, have internships. In fact, a, a, one of the papers published by uh, the Career Employment Research Institute uh, made, uh, noted the intense shift that uh, that's had in the job market. Can you explain why these opportunities have become so universally util- utilized? Well, there was a time. Uh, into the early 
90s that you didn't a student didn't need an internship. They were available, and we had interns and in, ships in cooperative education and heavily concentrated in engineering. But a lot of students just did summer employment. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they were involved in jobs, and companies recruited for summer. They didn't have internships. But in the 90s, the whole way we organized labor and how we shifted and how we trained uh, people in, as they moved into companies and moved into positions changed. And as a result of that, more pressure was put on students to be work-ready rather than coming into a job and being trained and having time to figure things out. Employers needed them to be work ready. And the only way that employers could see that that was going to happen was to, to, to begin to uh, use internships as the leverage point uh, in the, to evaluate students. So more and more students began to take internships. And by the early 2000s, we were seeing it grow to 40, 50%. Now, we don't know totally the real number of internships and number of students involved in internships, several things. We don't control any point at the university except for those students are in credit, those students that are doing internships for internship at state. We don't know how many students are involved because uh, easily half the students get the internship on their own. Mm -hmm. They don't have to report to anybody. We don't know what the quality is. We don't know what the outcomes are. We know very, very little about that. Uh, so we don't know. The, the current numbers are lower than I would think because I think uh, students have, uh, more students are involved, but the numbers look of, uh, low, and I think that's they're taking them off of four credit only, uh, credit-bearing internships, which run about 35 to 40%, uh, but I think it's probably double that. Mm-hmm. The other thing is we include now everything that's work-related off-campus as an internship. Uh, many of the things we didn't count before have been adapted with, t- converted to an internship title, so they're more attractive to students, so students will continue to participate because that's what they think they have to do. I mean, we used to call student teachers just student teachers. Now they're student interns. We looked mm-hmm. at volunteer positions in hospitals because anybody going into the pre-professional health fields needs to have exposure and experiences in the hospitals, job shadows, and things like that. And a lot of it was based on volunteer because hospitals would... Like K-12 education would step up to help young people get the experience, but they were never going to hire them. That that wasn't the intent. But now to get students engaged and stay in it and look good on the resume, they have to turn those into internships. So we're throwing everything into internship basket. And sometimes it doesn't make any sense, and we don't know how to count those things. Mm. Okay. That's an interesting thing to know. But um, going back to kind of the internships, as experience for students, you, you said that it, it, it became this way for, for companies to prepare students for their careers rather than having them to learn those skills on the fly when they first started. Yep. Um, so is, is there a way for a student to you know, gauge the quality of their internship that they're... That they're... Yeah. Go That's ahead. a good question because if we, you know, in co-op, which is, we have co-op in engineering here at MSU... They're very specific on what the outcomes are, and the outcomes have to be laid out, and the employer has to agree to the, uh, what those outcomes are and, and will provide experiences that lead to those, and the student knows what they are. It should be worked the same way for an internship. A student should know going into a, a really a high, uh, a, an important internship what they want to do, 
and what they're aiming for. It doesn't mean that they want that job, but what they want to do. What are the two or three or four key learning outcomes they want to obtain? They want to demonstrate mastery of their major. They want to demonstrate their ability to work in teams. They want to be able to demonstrate various types of communication skills. They want to be able to look at how they work in a diverse environment because it's going to change very different from the kind of teams and everything they set up here at M- in projects. Those dynamics are very different and see how they function and look at when they get through, did I develop those skills? If in fact, an, if going in an internship is not providing uh, some challenging assignments, some work that will actually allow them to see how their major is engages the workplace and it varies for every major on campus there's no one thing that's the same and and if students have to take the responsibility now now the ones that are doing it for credit on campus are the ones that take the time to go to their internship advisors or the career service office and, and get some help planning I hope come out much better than those that are just doing it because they know they have to have it. So let's get it on my resume and they'll take what they can find. Um, we know that there's uh, you know good ones in that mix and then there's some bad ones in that mix. And, but there's no way for us to help a student unless we know that they're looking and they want, they want some advice on how to do that. Okay. And, uh, You've obviously done a, a great deal of research regarding internships, uh, you know, the growth markets, different type of opportunities available and, you know, every t- different type of study. But is there, you know, one general piece of advice that you think universally carries for all students to be prepared? Okay. One piece of advice mm-hmm. for everybody? Yeah. Well, you you definitely need experience before. You need context for your learning. It, it just can't reside on campus. So the more places you engage around your education in different contexts. And it doesn't have to always be work. It can be uh, community engagement. It can be applied research in the off campus in the field under supervision of a faculty. There's a lot of ways to do it. But the more you can see how your your education, your knowledge base engages the in different contexts, you can figure out what value you bring to the workplace. And then it's easier to converse with employers. So all employers expect to have experience. Now, from the employer's point of view, the thing that they know the best is the internship. They're going to fall back on that if, in fact, a student can't articulate very well how these other experiences contribute to uh, and bring value to as a worker. So they're not going to delve into study abroad very much because if you haven't, if a student hasn't thought about how it means in the workplace. And they, they're going to go right to the internship because mm-hmm. then if a student is struggling to articulate what uh, they bring to the table, uh, an employer can pull it out because they're really familiar with it. So that's why we find the internship becomes the default. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't have to be the default. In fact, an internship may not work for every student. Mm-hmm. But internship to have pre-professional experience the things a student needs today you have to have adequate pre-professional experience even if you're going to graduate school because a lot of graduate schools are now requiring it you have to be able to integrate across all your experience your experiences in undergrad are not isolated events to check off i've done it uh they become all related they've got themes that run through them they've got skills companies work attitudes behaviors values that run through them that you need to be able to identify and pull together and say this is who i am that leads to the third thing they have to be able to tell your story Mm, 
and, and, and clearly, here's here's who I am. This is this is a change uh, for this, and probably one of the hardest parts of the transition out of college. Because up until this point, all the flows have been towards you as a student. Mm-hmm. I mean, in in K twelve, and then the four to five years in college has all been a focus on you. Now you've got to turn this whole model around and say they don't. You know, employers aren't out there to do anything for you. They want to know what you're going to do for them. So the story has to change. That's 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 hard. It's easier for some students that are in technical majors because they, they can leverage the technical ac- expertise, and, and and that may be enough to excite some employers, not all of them. But what they really want to know is what, what made you different being a Spartan after five years of here? What's your story? What do you bring to the table? Mm. And we don't do enough integration to get to that story. I, that's one of the weak pieces. And um, But that those are the three things that students really need to put together, beginning in their junior year, not, not in their senior year. It gets a little late then to try to scramble. You never tell a good story if you write it at the last minute. <laughs> so you got to take some time to, to practice it, get some help rehearsing it. Mm-hmm. So you, you really have the, not only your story, but the, the anecdotes and the vignettes that explain why something was important to you, how you gained something from just being in, involved in, you know, doing um, a social service project with young kids in New Orleans or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, definitely uh, some good things to know. And you're listening to Exposure on Impact 89 FM. We're talking with Philip Gardner, who's the director of the Collegiate Employment Research Institute and the executive director of Career Services Network at MSU. So moving on from opportunities while in school to more of the the postgraduate experience, one thing I just wanted to briefly touch on is a lot of the career fairs here. Um, You know, these events have become these monumental uh, fairs, bringing in hundreds of or thousands of students, tons of recruiters. Um, With the growth of these type of events, do you think they still hold a lot of value for students? Or has it kind of become a, a draw of the luck ordeal? Well, it depends on what's motivate, what's there. And there, there's a lot going on at a career fair. Uh, we've tried to bring employers, why they're bigger is employers don't want to come multiple, multiple times. Once upon a time, we used to have, you know, tens and twenties and thirties of career fairs every year and employers were coming back and they just can't afford to do that. So we've kind of coalesced around uh, a couple of major events, so they look enormous. Mm-hmm. The thing that's changed, you know, so employers come. Employers have several reasons for come. One, they want to brand their employment, extend their employment brand among students. So they're visible, they know they're here, uh, so students recognize them. Second, they are, they will be looking for full-time employment, and primarily they're looking for to recruit earlier with students for their internship mm-hmm. uh, programs. Uh, a lot of players, uh, their talent pools are being built earlier and earlier. They're coming more in different forms, in information nights. They're sponsoring student activities and things earlier because they're identifying their talent earlier. So the, a lot of the talent may be already screened by the career fair, but it comes a place for students to go that are younger, that are not experienced, to find out what companies are like and what they're looking for and, and begin to feel what the pace is when you start engaging for real your job. Second thing is, it's going to be the place where a lot of these internships we just talked about are going to be played out. 
Then the, then the companies will come in for full-time. They, they, they hope to pull it out of their talent stream, which will be their internship pools and the people they're nurturing in groups, but they don't always get all those people, so they have to come in and hire full-time. Uh, but they certainly don't hire, the numbers of full-time hires may not be as, as big as the, as the visual image of the career fair, okay. because a lot of the full-time hiring is going on in multiple other places. Mm-hmm. So it, what it sounds like to me then is that that be, the career fair has become more of a place to start the relationship with it, the company. In or? some ways it is, but it is the social mechanism to begin to get names out. And, and, and I think you're going to gain efficiencies. Now, companies that need to see lots and lots of students because they have a big target. So Enterprise is a good example. They hire, they're the largest college employer uh, of new college talent. They hire about 7,000 a year and they take them from all majors. So they need to see lots of students, mm. but you even get, and, and even a company, a manufacturer, maybe General Motors may not be the best thing, but General Motors will be at our career fairs, but they hire a very small number. And so they've already begun to nurture that talent pool of the 30 or 40 or 50 students from even freshman, sophomore year, uh, which they hope to pull the 10 to 15 they're going to hire out of Michigan State every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, they may come to those nights just to find the interview. So there's mixed things. So students have to be a little bit better prepared now to go to a career fair. Uh, they just can't wander around. Uh, so they need some. There's multiple motivations uh, on a career fair, and so you you need to sort out. Just to go hang out at a career fair is kind of overwhelming, and a lot of students just get lost and just walk away. Why did I do that? But if you go with an understanding, and maybe just uh, if you haven't been one, and do just some little. Simple things like talk to some employers that may not be busy at the moment. Uh, find out what companies do. Tell them how do you find internships. Be prepared because you may be just the person that the student uh, uh, employer that you weren't expecting might say, "Well, why don't you drop your resume off?" So uh, and so because we, we're looking for freshmen or sophomores for some uh, assignments this summer or this next term. So mm-hmm. you don't know. So you do have to come prepared. But you can be overwhelmed, and so it's good to see your advisors, career advisors, before you go, so you have a sense of what you should be able to accomplish, particularly with, with where you are at, uh, class standing wise. Mm, okay. And so, uh, just to kind of briefly touch on uh, for graduates, the the industry movements that we've been seeing. You know, the recession obviously had a very very intense impact on job availability, especially for graduates. Uh, but according to a lot of the job trends and recruiting trends, uh, including put out by you guys, it appears that you know a lot of the market is starting to gain ground again. Yes. Will Will the most recent grads see that impact? Well, the most recent grads have seen, of course, the best labor market we've had since two thousand eight. But it's nothing. You know, it's it's enough to write home about mm-hmm. um, and be excited about because there's more opportunities. But we're only maybe halfway back to where we were in two thousand eight. So. The good news is that there's more job opportunities. It's it's uh, it's it's turning in the students' favor, the new graduates' favor, becoming more co- competitive for the employer. So that that's good, uh, but we still don't have enough jobs, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's going to be harder. We're going to still run into students that going into uh, the their job search aren't ready. They haven't done the things they need to do. They're going to struggle if they haven't been able to do the three things I talked about very well. Even no matter how good a student they are and how well they've done, they might find themselves struggling in the labor market uh, mm-hmm. because it's going to take. It, it's still just not healthy. We're going to yeah. see continue to see it improve next year. I'm sure we may even get a bigger gain next year, 
Uh, the labor market seems to be moving across the board a little stronger. But again, it's going to take a couple years to get back. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you see a lot more growth in different fields like health care, mm-hmm. for example, right. always seems to be growing. Um, but for should students keep an eye on those kind of industry trends when they're picking out a major or, well, we, um, or, or do, do a lot of degrees kind of carry over? Well, degrees can go almost, you know, depending on what you want to do, can go almost anywhere. What I would suggest to a student early on is to get involved in finding an area or a problem that really interests them. It could be in healthcare, food, water, transportation, finance, and look at the total system, not Mm -hmm. just a job, not just a particular part of the, uh, the industry. Look at the whole food system and look at it from the farm to the grocery store and how people consume food and, and, and look at the different ways that different disciplines act at different points and then say, geez, based on this, and I really get excited about this topic and mm-hmm. look at these are the majors that play in this space and I can be any, any one of them. And then all I need to do is find the one that I want to get up every morning and study mm-hmm. and makes me excited. And then look at how I can use my electives to to bolster my understanding of the other uh, disciplines that I'm going to interact with in that space, because that only strengthens my ability. And, and so you enter the space rather than, and you you will find a job in that space. And eventually, what's going to have to happen in early careers, they're going to start creating their own jobs. Mm-hmm. And that's what you may, by the time you graduate, will be more likely to be defining your own jobs. It's the way we're, I think we're going to go, uh, probably not in the next five years, but certainly in the next 10 years. But when having a sense of a purpose of what I really want to get involved in, what I what gets me really excited, don't worry about the major immediately. What do I want to spend? What what problems do I want to tackle? What do I really want to get into? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. for you, it's probably journalism and, mm-hmm. and media of some sort. Something really drew you to here to get past. So, and you looked at probably the things things not just being on a, on a radio show, but there's other things you're going to be able to do with your talent. And they're not just niches, they're broad things. Mm-hmm. And then you just got to find out how do I enter? And then where I'll look at all the ways you move and mm-hmm. don't get worried about finding a job necessarily. Okay. Very good advice. Very good advice. Well, before we let you go, um, uh, it seems like the, the best way for students to, um, like you've said, prepare for success out of college is to start preparing from day one. Um, like you said, the three different uh, uh, things that they should be doing. Uh, but is there one place specifically that you feel like f- students should focus a lot more on that you feel like not enough students are sending enough focus to in their job job preparation? Uh, this probably gives away my hand and my bias because this is where I'm trying to move career services <laughs> and the whole and the whole community. I think the one of the hardest things for students, some some students, and there are a number of students come in with a very clear sense. This goes back to what I said: find something. The students that we work with that that are struggling, it's not that they're doing bad. They just haven't figured out what what I, what really why am I here and what really grabs my attention. So if I could get students to be, you know, use their time, be engaged, just don't sit there and and do do the fun things. I want you to do those too, but find out, you know, clarify your purpose. What, employers talk that about a lot. If they just knew clear, clarity of what they wanted to do, it's not what they want to do five years. Just I have a purpose. I want to address this issue. I, I again, I'm reiterating myself, but that would go a long way to setting a lot of other things in motion that they wouldn't have to wrestle with so much later on and try to do it backwards mm. when they get to senior and try to fill in backwards. Start when you're a freshman and build up and, and as you 
move into something, have more and more clarity, and then engage your major with much more clarity would probably be one of the best things we could do. Uh, that means changing student culture. I don't know if that's going to happen. Gotcha. Well, thank you very much for being with us. This is Stephen Rich, and you're listening to Exposure on Impact 89FM. As Dr. Gardner pointed out, preparation, such as internships, is important in college. But with these programs, students can be taken advantage of without gaining the experience that they were seeking. Last year, reporter Carmen Scruggs examined unpaid internships and what students should be wary of. As the job market continues to be competitive, college students with less than ideal budgets face the challenge of gaining job experience. Unpaid internships have become a paradox for some students, being negative financially but positive educationally. Jobs require experience, and with unpaid internships, it comes at a price. If a student can't get an internship because they're not able to work for free, that's a tragedy for that student, and it's a shame on the industry because using unpaid internships screens out people based on economics rather than talent, skill, or any other kind of merit. That was Joe Grimm, a journalism professor at Michigan State University. He says internships are gateways to jobs, but that doesn't mean interns should not get rewarded economically. This idea that we can work them for free because we're providing an educational opportunity is false. Nine times out of ten, there is no program. There is no formal mentoring going on. There may not be an evaluation at the end. There is not a training program there. It's a work program, an unpaid work program. Students aren't just sacrificing money when they take unpaid internships. Michigan State Advertising junior Emily Jaskowski worked as an unpaid intern at a lingerie boutique in Okemos. Emily says she had to balance school, her internship, and work this summer. I wouldn't take a small unpaid internship again just because I do feel like you are sacrificing a lot and you are adding a lot to the company and not seeing any returns financially, which is kind of stressful, especially for a college student. But although unpaid internships are demanding and often stressful, the hands-on experience is abundant. Brandy Yates is the internship coordinator for Home TV, which offers paid and unpaid internships to those looking for broadcasting experience. Brandy says the interns gain valuable and practical skills. The interns aren't getting coffee, filing paper, they're actually producing the stories, they are making promotional spots, writing press releases, with obviously with some guidance. So they build their resume here to get their job. Brandy says she knows firsthand how much work interning involves and that the rewards are worth it. With the experience you get here, it's going to pay off in the end because that's how you're going to get your foot in the door. This industry is super competitive, so you want to have an edge, and internships are one of the best ways to get it. Rookie interns at Home TV know they aren't getting paid, but that doesn't deter them from working there. Like fifth-year Michigan State journalism senior Lou DeVizio, who has interned at the station for three semesters. Honestly, I don't want to say anything bad about MSU, but I learned probably more here in the three semesters I've been here as far as I can actually apply in the field than I have in four years at MSU. He says that knowledge will help him succeed in the future. 
I'm not sure exactly where I'm going to take it from here, but I, I will say that the experience that I've gotten from it has it's going to prepare me for many different paths I could go. For Impact News, I'm Carmen Scruggs. Welcome back to Exposure on Impact 89FM. I am Stephen Rich. Today on the show, we're highlighting the challenges that students faced after graduation. In 15 minutes, we'll hear from Dr. Phil Gardner about how graduation can change a student's life in some unexpected ways. But first, we hear from Professor Charles Ballard. Since 1980, the cost of higher education has tripled according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And these higher costs can follow students for decades after graduation. Professor Ballard helps us explore these costs and what can be done to help limit their rise. What do you think has caused such a steep climb in debt? Is it, does it just have to do with rising tuition costs? That's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, at state-supported universities like Michigan State, a big reason why the tuition has gone up is that the state government support for higher education has dropped mm-hmm. uh, very, very substantially. Um, uh, Fifty years ago, the uh, state provided more than three-quarters of the budget at MSU. Uh, today, it's down in the low 20s percent. Uh, and so um, the uh, tuition is the main thing that has made up the difference. We, of course, try to get federal research grants, and we uh, try very hard to get private philanthropy. But for better or worse, and I think it's for worse, an awful lot of it has come through uh, through higher tuition. Another thing that I would mention is that the costs of providing higher education have gone up like a lot of things, but our costs, uh, unfortunately, have gone up more rapidly than many other things in the economy. Um, That's because an awfully big part of what we do is we have um, people with PhDs who are uh, teaching and doing Mm -hmm. research. Well, uh, the market for those folks has been very strong, and so uh, salaries of faculty members, not just here, uh, it's not like the rest of the world is keeping those salaries down and we're going up. It's the We're competing with Ohio State and Virginia Tech and Texas A&M, and uh, if they're paying more, uh, we have to pay more if we want to attract talent. So it's a, it's a host of things that have come together to, uh, to push tuition, uh, tuition up. Very interesting. In uh, in an in NPR article I saw recently, they broke down um, debt that a lot of students are facing into the payments that they'll start to see once they graduate. And I was surprised to see a lot of these costs could be compared to like a car loan or even a mortgage payment, a monthly payment. That, that And that just to me is, is a lot more than I would expect. Do you think a lot of students are aware of just how long these loans are going to follow them and, and the prices of these loans over time? My guess is that some students are aware and some are not. Mm-hmm. I think it does put it into context. I, I'm not about to say that um, I, I'm not concerned about student loan debt, um, but uh, a lot of students don't have any debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's say that you do have something that's the size of a car payment. Well, um, a lot of folks uh, would would uh, buy a car and wouldn't mind paying for it mm-hmm. because it provides valuable services. It allows it to, them to get around. Similarly, uh, I don't want this to be elevated to the level of a crisis because let's say that you end up with a car payment mm-hmm. uh, for getting a college education, which uh, on average will yield you earnings in the labor market that are hundreds of thousands of dollars more over your lifetime and maybe a million more 
over your lifetime than you would have if you had just graduated from high school and not gone to college. Well, uh, maybe that's worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, again, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm not concerned about debt, but I certainly don't want young people to think, oh, I shouldn't go to college because I might emerge with some loans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the later questions I had is, you know, because there, there are climbing costs, um, you don't see that as diminishing the value of a college education or we, you don't ever see we'll reach the point where the price will be too much for the opportunities it provides? Well, um, it's hard to know what the what the future will hold. And if these trends continue, the, the more they continue, the more of a concern they are. But right now, um, for the vast majority of folks, the uh, value of a college education is, is still huge. Uh, the rate of return to a college education really went up starting in the 1970s. And even with these trends that we're seeing now, it is still uh, a very valuable investment for the vast majority. Of course, it does make a difference what what your major is. And mm-hmm. it's, it's well known that if you come out with a degree in uh, chemical engineering or, or computer science or materials science or finance or, frankly, economics, you're uh, your job prospects and your earnings prospects are probably better mm-hmm. than uh, higher, higher earnings, not necessarily higher satisfaction, but higher financial earnings than if your um, major was English or, or French literature or philosophy. Now, again, I don't want to make it sound like you shouldn't major in English if that's your passion, but it is true that the financial return it de- does depend on, on what your major is. And, and then another one that we need to worry about is if you don't get a degree, but you end up with college debt, college loan debt, that is, of course, a, a huge concern. Mm-hmm. And that's why at Michigan State and all across the country, uh, there was actually an article in the New York Times very recently about the efforts of the University of Texas, which are similar to efforts going on here at Michigan State. We want to make sure that these folks graduate. Because if, you, if something happens and you generate student loan debt in your freshman and sophomore years, and then you drop out of college, then you don't have that degree, which is the ticket to the higher earnings, but you still have the college alone debt. So that's a very, very important concern. Yeah, I, I didn't even think about that. That's a good thing to know. Um, and uh, like you said, you know, there are some degrees that are more lucrative. Uh, do you think uh, that the higher cost could affect students' decision to major in something different because they see this field as more lucrative? Or do you think that's not going to be really affected by rising costs? I think it depends upon the student, Mm -hmm. but I do believe that some students um, uh, do pay attention to what the financial payoff is when they decide what to major in. And I think a lot of students are under pressure from the parents. I've I've heard from students uh, over the years, uh, you know, my dad says I really ought to major in accounting or finance because um, he thinks that I'll get a better job. I I really want to major in music, but um, so so f- students do face those pressures and different people are going to make different decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you're listening to Exposure on Impact 89 FM. We're talking with Charles Ballard, who is a professor in the Department of Economics at Michigan State. So what kind of long-term effects do you think we'll see with this, with this amount of debt on students? Again, it depends a great deal upon the individual. A lot of people um, emerge from college with no student loan debt. Uh, In particular, there's a real income distributional aspect to this. If you're from the the most affluent families, um, you're not going to have student loan debt. 
your parents uh, are able to pay that uh, just out of uh, regular expenses. Also, uh, I think I hope this will encourage people to save ahead of time, such that they have a little bit of a nest egg before they go to college, instead of coming into college with no assets. Um, so, so it varies a lot from individual to individual, but for some people, it's going to um, it's going to have an effect. Uh, in the most extreme stories that you've heard, uh, some people um, delay having a family because they're the the crushing burden of huge student loan debt. I'm not talking about here the average of twenty six thousand dollars. Yeah, if you've got that, that's not going to delay you from buying a house or buying a car or having a family. Um, but in some cases, especially if you went to a very expensive private university and you didn't get a lot of financial aid, um, especially if you went on to graduate school in certain disciplines where there isn't a lot of financial aid, uh, you may have a hundred thousand or more. And that can affect people's uh, decisions. That can mean that in some cases they really wanted to buy a three-bedroom house, but they just can't do it, and they're going to have to live in an apartment for a few years longer or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you don't see that as uh, affecting a lot of people. It's more that that the the amount of people who have just that enormous amount of debt. I think those extreme cases are still relatively rare. Of Mm -hmm. course, this is a long-term trend toward burgeoning student loan debt, and it's something that I think we need to be concerned about. And if the trends were to continue for another uh, decade or more, I think you'd see more and more people in those extreme situations, and that's something that I'd like to avoid. Um, Getting back to what I said earlier, the average student doesn't have what I would call huge amounts of student loan debt. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that I'm not concerned. Uh, but but I don't want this to get blown into uh, a, a situation where a lot of people think of it as a crisis and where they would uh, back away from going to college in the first place because in the vast majority of cases, it is still a very good financial decision. And frankly, it's not just a financial decision. Of course, I'm prejudiced because I've worked most of my adult life in in a university, but uh, I really think that it's a a life-transforming experience for uh, a huge fraction of our students. It's not just that you've got higher earnings. It's that you were exposed to ideas that will change your life. Yeah. Well, good to know. As a college student, great. (laughs) Um, And just one other thing that I I, I was reading and I kept seeing um, over is talking about the value of community colleges and vocational educations that they offer. Um, Do you think uh, students should consider going to community college and earning like an associate's or something, or should most students still be going for the bachelor's degree, still be headed to a big or a university like Michigan State? It depends upon the student. Mm -hmm. There's not a one-size-fits-all, and I wouldn't encourage a one-size-fits-all. I think that vocational training programs and community colleges have a a tremendously important role to play. There are an awful lot of jobs out there for which a four-year university education is not really necessary. Um, uh, Of course, just because it's not necessary doesn't mean that you shouldn't go to a four-year university because of all of the additional advantages. After all, if you uh, if you go to a community college, you're missing out on the excitement, color, and pageantry of Big Ten athletics <laughs> and so many more uh, things. But um, I think there are, there is a huge role for the community colleges. I'd also make a pitch for 
Um, we in Michigan and in much of the rest of the country don't do nearly as good a job as we should in terms of getting students through 12th grade with the education that they need. Um, at community colleges and even at places like Michigan State, a fair amount of resources are devoted to remedial courses, to courses that are really high school courses trying to get you through stuff that you should have mastered in 11th or 12th grade. And so I'm an advocate for um, a variety of reforms of the K through 12 um, because if you had a really solid K through 12, there are a lot of jobs for which it may not be necessary to go to college at all, but where with today's skill set, you really have to go at least to a community college and possibly to a four-year. So it's not one size fits all. But given the current realities, which is that the rate of return to a college education, especially a four-year bachelor's degree, is so huge, I think in an awful lot of cases, what we need to do is continue to encourage and find the ways financially to get students to to go to a four-year university. That's not to diminish the role of the community colleges. I think there are plenty of students for whom that is appropriate. But I, I think we really need to increase our educational investment across the board. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see more. I'd like to see no high school dropouts. Yeah. I'd like to see everyone finish high school and then more go on to community college and more go on to a four-year as well. Okay. And uh, finally, um, you said, you know, it's not a crisis, but obviously it is. uh, It's apparent that student loan debt is building up. The cost of school is building up. What types of uh, fixes are there available to kind of correct this or to make sure that it doesn't build into a crisis? Well, one of the one of the ones that's uh, I think the most obvious is uh, that uh, the state of Michigan, uh, like many other states, has. Uh, dramatically reduced its investment in higher education. I believe that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand the political realities that have led to that, uh, but I-, I would like to see that reversed. And I believe that w- that it's it's possible. Um, we in the state of Michigan, state and local taxes are way less than they used to be. That may surprise some of your listeners because we're always bombarded with messages about how high taxes are. But taxes, state and local taxes, as a percentage of our economy are substantially lower than they were 30 or 40 years ago, to the tune of something on the order of $8 billion a year. Well, so in other words, we are taxing ourselves by billions less than we did back in the, the 70s. Well, uh, what's the higher education budget? About $1.4 billion. Mm-hmm. In other words, we could double the higher education budget, leading to substantial reductions in tuition, um, without coming anywhere close to the tax rates that we once had uh, at a time when Michigan was prospering. I know that's a difficult sell politically. Um, I, I told this to one of my students year ago, years ago, and he said, so are you saying that we should invest more in education and raise taxes to pay for it? And I said, yes. And he said, well, that's political suicide. <laughs> but my view is if that's political suicide, then in a sense we're dead already. I think it's it's something that we need to do, and even if it's politically difficult, I will continue to advocate for it. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. You're listening to Impact Exposure. General!
just received word of an invasion! Speak quickly, maggot! Is it those Canadians again? I don't know, sir! We just heard that Monday at 8 p.m. the impact will be invaded! You stupid ninny! That's the Asian invasion! It's the poppiest, catchiest, and all-around toe-tappingest music out of the Korea, Japan, and China! But, sir, I'm no good with Asian dialects! Shut up and listen to the music, private! That catchy beat knows no language barrier! Now move out, everyone! Sir, yes, sir! The Asian invasion. Monday nights from 8 till 10 on... The impact. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to The Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Thursday nights from 10 until 2 a.m. Listen to The Hours of Power, the scariest and only metal show in the mid-Michigan area. Only on Impact Primetime. Now back to Impact Exposure. I'm Stephen Rich, and this is Exposure on Impact 89FM. We're discussing issues that students face after graduation. Although finding a job and paying off student loans are some of the biggest areas of focus, they are not the only things that can change. Dr. Phil Gardner highlighted some other areas that students can expect to change. Well, I don't know if any of us are ready. I mean, the world (laughs) is just going so fast and so complex. And, And I think this is the biggest, one of the things that sets in motion real quick from from my point is, you know, you've been a student has been at the university for in their classes, and they they rely on a syllabus. It tells them when to do, when their works do, when what's going to happen, and they and it's pretty detailed these days. And you you know the infamous question, what's on the test? Now you're going to go in out and you're going to engage in the workplace, and there is no syllabus. You don't ask the question once on the test. Everything's on the test. And it's up to you to figure it out. And it goes very, very fast. Knowledge becomes ambiguous and negotiated and things. So all of a sudden, in, the, in, the, in this new world you're entering, uh, they, the rules change. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and certainly. So this can be overwhelming, even for the very best students. It's kind of like deers in headlights. You just stall until you figure out and the comfort level and the confidence that you can engage. And then a surrounding that, then your, 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 your world and your support network around you changes in some ways. Your, your generation is lucky you have, you have Facebook and, and social media, and I know you don't use that as much anymore, but you have these ways to stay connected and keep your community together. We know when I, when I left college, I went away from home, and I was on my own, and so I had to make new friends. I had to figure out how to survive. Uh, of course, in my days, I had to go, I was drafted in the military, so they made a lot of decisions for me. But now you're going to have to manage money. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to find new groups to ho- to um, build a base so you have support because you're in this very rapid change. So you're not going to always find that at work, though. That's one of the key things that your age group wants is some the kind of coworkers you're. You're more worried about that than actually the company you work for, and so. It, it's hard. It's challenging, and you're you're and we're not sophisticated enough. And most of us, and even adults my age, don't ma- often manage their finances well. Uh, so you get hit it with all this finances. You, mm-hmm. I'm going to go live in an apartment, and then uh, you need a car if you haven't got one yet. You and, and so you start making obligations, and all, and then the student loans kick in, mm-hmm. and so all of a sudden, what you thought was a really good salary becomes a very challenged item. If you, and you have, so you have to learn how to mm-hmm. budget. You have to learn to expectations. And then you add in, you know, 
I didn't have to deal with student loans. It was unheard of for student loans in my day. And so I didn't have that six months after gradu- you know, graduation, I get the announcement. Now you have to start paying $300 a month. That's mm-hmm. a car payment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, and you often don't think about that, just trying to make it in the door and start the next day. And unfortunately, those that don't have jobs or they're underemployed, the, the financial obligation becomes overwhelming. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's one of the the things that kind of brought me to this topic is I had a professor whose son received a credit card application. Um, and it, it was, since he's, you know, worked with finance for so long to him, it was clear that this was just trying to take advantage of a young student. And so that's one of the, the biggest things I wanted to, to discuss is how can students prepare and prevent themselves from being taken advantage of in these situations that they're going to be completely new to? Well, there, you know, I like to say that I could, and I should be able to tell you where to go to get help on, at MSU. I, there are sources. They're not necessarily in my office. But like the young man, fortunately had a dad that could, that could decipher that. They should never sign anything that they don't get help on, mm-hmm. on clearly. And, and you know, you're going to get inundated with requests. It used to be that you didn't have to wait to graduate. We used to have them all over campus up and down Farm oh. Lane, and they were giving away credit cards until it got so bad. Um, it, it, you know, having some sound in advice on finance and fi- how to manage finances, how to manage time, you know, how do you, how, how do you simply now, mom's not going to go to the grocery store for you, and you certainly might not be able to buy food the same way you bought it while you were living in the dorm. So, you know, you're going to have to add, you're going to have to, uh, that's a good question. I wish I could say there's things. I just got a book, brand new book today uh, that I haven't even read. I just opened it before I walked over here on how to survive after college. Maybe I should go and read it. Um, but I probably will have my staff look at it and we'll st- we certainly, it's on our list of things to try to provide at least some video things, but you're right. There are. You're just going to have to find the resources. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, it's it sounds like the the best method is just to be aware. It be aware. And you know what? You talked about. You mentioned about leaving home. Mm-hmm. You know. You know, it's not a bad idea if you're not going far away. And mom and dad agreed to this. That if you came home and you just didn't live like a slob and you didn't play video games <laughs> and you helped, but you went to work that to save a little money and and, and figure out some of the finances. Before you committed to, you know, an apartment or a condo, bought a new car, you know, and, and, and you're figuring out your relationships. Now, you know, used to be that students pretty much stayed close to home. I mean, when I started, you know, 77% of all Michigan State students um, stayed in Michigan. Mm-hmm. This recession has changed that. This one's, you know, at the beginning, we were lucky to keep 35%. We're back up to 60%. We'll probably never see those 77 because so many of our students come from out of state now. But um, this in-state students are staying. And and when my daughter graduated, I let her stay at home because she had some debts and and it solidified her finances. And we didn't, as long as she didn't make a mess and she was a member of society, it was fine. And then after six months or so, this finance is stable. She figured out how it worked. So if you go home in the right way, that's that's an okay thing Mm -hmm. too. I mean, you're, you don't have to be totally, wholly independent, but, you know, you're going to be finding yourself. You're going to have to ask new questions, and, and that's hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we have touched on a lot of uh, pretty 
pretty heavy topics tonight. Yep. But what is what do you think is the biggest thing that students can look forward to after they well, graduate? Well, you know, that I had asked that all the time. I got to ask that the other day. I was just came back from the University of Vermont. And, you know, I get this ask and and then and the number when I put out information of what's coming, it looks like the world's coming to an end. And it's not a glass half full, glass half empty uh, thing anymore. It's just the glass is changing all the time. Mm-hmm. So stu- young people have to realize there's going to be incredible opportunities. And at the same time, there could be just disaster if, they, if, they, if they're not preparing themselves for constant innovation and change. Mm-hmm. And they've got a great foundation in their education, and they've got to develop the skills but they have to have the confidence to, to, to move ahead and, and, and know that there's going to be things. Because if they stay in the same place or, um, and they don't uh, take action, partic- and I'll explain that in a minute, then they could be one of these people that their jobs are eliminated by a smart machine like your, well, they don't call them tel- cell phones anymore, but your smartphones. Uh, but, um, you know, students have to realize that they just spent tuition at Michigan State University for four years. And I'm an economist, and that was an investment. It's not, the end result is not at the four years and you get a job. That's just the down payment to give the basis for the education. You're going to have to learn 24-7 when you leave. I don't Mm -hmm. care where you're going. And to know that you're going to do that and feel comfortable about how you learn and how you acquire knowledge and, and you can do that, that's the most important thing uh, that any student leaving here needs to be confident about is I know how to learn on my own. I know how to uh, acquire it because it's going to start and it is going to go very fast, faster than college ever was. And it just was a mighty blur for you folks. It went by and it was the four best years in life. And you're never, yeah, I hate to say you're never going to get back, but they <laughs> laid the foundation for something. It, the degree does not end this. Mm-hmm. It's just the start. It's just the ticket to go and look that opens doors and you, and then you've got to, continue to advance whether you get another degree or not mm-hmm. it's not about getting another degree it's about learning and and, and just continue learning mm-hmm. awesome well thank you so much you're for being with us today you're listening to impact exposure on Finally tonight, we got the chance to talk with a recent graduate about her experience after graduation. Hannah Duke discussed the unexpected challenges that she faced and how she feels her undergraduate degree has prepared her for the real world. Hannah, I understand that you graduated back in 2012, correct? Yes. Okay, cool. So let's just take a a step back, you know, think about um, right after graduation. um, What was the plan from there? What, What did you envision yourself doing as the next step? Um, Well, I graduated with a communicative sciences and disorders degree, so I want to be a speech pathologist, Mm -hmm. and um, I needed to go to graduate school, so I was going to take a year off and then um, try and, you know, do a couple shadowing in different um, environments and then apply to graduate school. Okay, very cool. And did you end up in the last couple of years doing those kind of um, different shadowings, or what did you do for work during your year off? Um, well, I moved to Atlanta for a year to um, do a shadowing at Emory Hospital in the head and neck cancer department. Mm-hmm. And um, I also did a shadow in Ingham County um, at a school. 
Okay, very cool. Um, and so do you think things have changed in the last uh, year and a half or so? Do you, do you see yourself heading in a different direction, or do you still have plans on getting that graduate degree? I am still pursuing um, a graduate degree, and life after college is definitely not like college, <laughs> but um, it is still very exciting, and um, applying to graduate school is a lot of work, so I am you know, taking the GRE and building up my resume, and hopefully I will get into a good school. Awesome. Very cool. Well, we definitely wish you luck. And before um, I let you go, I just want to ask, do you think that um, your undergraduate degree helped you, you know, really prepare for life? I know you're getting that grad degree, so you're definitely looking for more school. But did you feel prepared in the last year? Um, I definitely had a great education and enjoyed college. Um, I think that my undergraduate degree did prepare me a lot for the real world, but definitely getting field experience and having, you know, internships really put together what I learned in the classroom and, um, you know, heightened my knowledge, I would say. Mm -hmm. Cool. And then uh, just one last thing, if you have any advice for someone who's in college as a recent graduate, what would be the biggest piece of advice you could give? Probably study hard and don't rush out of college too fast. Mm -hmm. But you know, you can accomplish what you want to put your mind to. You just have to take your time and really, you know, do the best you can and get the most experience out of every opportunity. All right. Very good advice. Well, again, Hannah, thanks so much for talking with me. I really do appreciate it. And I wish you the best of luck.
Thank you for joining us tonight. Special thanks to Station Manager Gabriela Saldivia and General Manager Ed Glazer. Tonight's show and all other exposure shows can be found on our website at www.impact89fm.org. Keeping you informed and bidding you farewell until next time, I'm Stephen Rich and you have been listening to Impact Exposure 89FM. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure.